let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts, our Heavenly Father, be acceptable and honoring and pleasing in your sight, you who are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Last week we began our sermon series on Luke chapter 15 and we took quite a broad overview of the chapter looking at each of the three parables which Jesus told. In the first two parables Jesus spoke about a shepherd going in search of a lost sheep and of a woman going in search of her coin. In the third parable we explored the story of a father and his younger son to help us understand what Jesus is getting at with these parables we need to remember what he said to his disciples. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Here, Jesus helps the disciples understand that he knows the Father perfectly, that Jesus is the ultimate authority on what the Father is actually like and that part of his mission is to reveal the Father to others. So in our three parables from Luke 15, Jesus is seeking to help us grasp something of the character of Father God, and to see what the Father prioritizes and how he interacts with the world. Last week, we saw that Father God loves with a seeking and prodigal love. That in the example of the shepherd and the woman, we see a God who seeks us out so as to rescue us from our lostness, because God never writes us off. And then in the example of the father and his lost son, we see a God who loves with such extravagant and such reckless generosity that he truly can be called prodigal. In the coming weeks, we'll take some time to dig a little deeper into some of the other traits which Jesus gives us of Father God. And we'll also ask some of the questions that arise out of these parables, especially the parable of the father and his two sons. Since arriving here in Brighton's, I generally have a Friday off with hope. And a common feature of our days off is that we go swimming together. And really, we've done that on my days off since she was about one year old. Thankfully, she now enjoys that experience. It was a painful beginning, uh, but we're getting there now. Nowadays, I know not to fit in too much before or after swimming, but in my foolish youth, and trying to get jobs done, I would often try and attempt to go shopping with her and get some stuff at Tesco or, or such like. And when Hope was younger, that was generally quite easy because she would sit in a trolley and she'd have a play or interact or she'd munch away on a shopping, a wee bar and I would run around the shop, shopping center like there was no tomorrow. Uh, but when she could start walking, oh, that brought its own challenges. Because my daughter, like most to toddlers, probably refused to go in the trolley anymore and she had to walk. Now she has to hold the wee scanner thing at Tesco. So we've got a job for her and that keeps her happy. Uh, the experience uh, helps me empathize with a story I read this week. A man is in a supermarket pushing a trolley around which contained, among other things, a screaming baby. As the man proceeded around the, uh, the aisles, he kept repeating softly, 
Keep calm, George. Don't get excited, George. Don't get excited, George. Don't yell, George. A lady watching with admiration said to the man, you're certainly to be commended for your patience in trying to quiet little George. Lady, he declared, I'm George. <laughs> How I feel that father's pain at times. Keeping our patience is such a difficult thing, whether it's with the children or colleagues or neighbors or family or even here we, where we can sometimes rub each other up the wrong way. Patience is so very difficult. It has been defined as a state of suffering with fortitude, as the ability to endure great evils without complaining. The word comes from a Latin word meaning suffering, and so it gives us that idea of being long-suffering, of enduring without giving way to fury or to flight. And in the parable we read today, the third from Luke chapter 15, we are reminded of the younger son's request and of the father's response. And last week we saw how shocking these words would be. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. To say such a thing in the context of Middle Eastern custom would be equivalent to someone here saying to your parent, I can't wait until you're dead. Give me the money now. And to sell that portion of the estate whilst the father was still alive was a total lack of decency and effectively said to the father, to me, you don't exist anymore. In all of this, the younger son basically rejects the father. He rejects the father personally. He rejects the father's ancestry. He rejects the father's way of life and what he stood for. I want no part of you, is what he says. Now, I find it difficult when hope basically refuses to eat the lunch I've prepared, a lunch I might add she specifically asked for, and yet here is a child causing untold hurt on multiple levels as, she re as he rejects his father so completely. And at this point in the story, the listeners of Jesus following the customs of the time would be expecting a traditional Middle Eastern response. And that response would be to drive out the son from the family. And the father is expected to do it with nothing less than physical blows. That's what they expect. And yet the father does something completely different. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. Instead of responding with blows, the father patiently endures a tremendous loss of honor as well as the pain of rejected love. Ordinarily, when our love is rejected, we get angry, we retaliate, and we, can, we do whatever we can so that we don't hurt as much. But this father maintains his patience and so his affection for his son, the father bears the agony. He is truly long-suffering. He endures without giving way to fury or to flight. And he doesn't, as we often do, compile rejection upon rejection. And in this wonderfully moving story, we see a portrayal of our heavenly father who loves with a seeking and prodigal love and does so with great patience towards us, his children. I wonder 
to what measure do we reflect this kind of patience? It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It should be increasingly seen in our lives if we are followers of Jesus. Leonardo da Vinci once said, Patience serves as a protection against wrongs, as clothes do against cold. For if you put on more clothes as the cold increases, it will have no power to hurt you. So in like manner, you must grow in patience when you meet with great wrongs, and they will then be less powerful to vex your mind. The quote reminds me of what a friend once said. It's quite shocking. Christians should be the least offendable people anyone knows. Let me say that again. Christians should be the least offendable people anyone knows. It makes sense if you think about it for a moment. If we are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, particularly love and patience, then we really shouldn't take offense at very much, should we? Paul says to the Colossians that we are to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We have to bear with each other and forgive one another. And that last line, forgive as the Lord forgave you, who forgives us quickly and fully. So we should be the least offendable people around here, should we not? But let me ask, how quickly do you take offense? How long do you hold on to a grievance? What hurts are you still holding on to and allowing to vex your mind? I'm trying not to look anybody in the eye in case you think I'm picking on you. Because <laughs> these are hard questions. These are hard questions to face up to. But we must. Because we are all called to reflect our Heavenly Father. So maybe it is time, friends, for us to face up to the lack of patience in our lives. Maybe it is time to face up to all the ways we are short with one another, or where we become easily irritated, or hold on to a grudge or offense made against us. Because the God we serve, and whom we call our Heavenly Father, He is prodigal in His patience towards us, and we are called to reflect Him. In addition to the Father showing great patience and long-suffering at the beginning of the story in response to the terrible treatment of the younger son, a little later in the parable, at the very end of what we read today, we also see another facet of the Father's patience. In verse 20, we read today, So the younger son got up and went back home to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The younger son has come to his senses. He has realized the folly of his choices, and he's been driven to great desperation. He realizes the, the selfishness of his actions too, and, and probably the great shame and pain he inflicted upon his father. But he's so desperate he will still go home. And what do we read? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him. His father was looking for him. 
Who knows how long he had been watching? Long enough for his son to burn through a fortune, become desperate, become affected by a famine, and then look for work on a pig farm, which is offensive to the Jews. The father likely waited a long time. He was long-suffering. He was patient. Who knows how many days he squinted in the sunlight looking at the horizon for the slightest hint of movement. Who knows how many nights he maybe went out and worry, lit a torch and stood there just in case his son needed help to find home. But he did it. The father did it because he loves with a prodigal seeking love which will not allow him to give up on being patient towards his precious child. How many of us have have waited for something, and it feels like agony, but in these circumstances, it surely would have been near unbearable for the Father. To help us get a feel of this, a truer feel of this maybe, Christian author Philip Yancey has rewritten the parable in today's context, and I've adjusted it again to fit our situation here. And I thought I might read it in its entirety just to help us engage with this parable anew. So let me read it to you. A young girl grows up on a farm just outside Brighton's Falkirk. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring, the music she listens to and the length of her skirts. They ground her a few times and she sees inside. I hate you, she screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after an argument. And that night she acts on a plan she has mentally rehearsed scores of times. She runs away. She has visited London only once before on a bus trip with her church youth group to watch Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Because newspapers in Scotland report in lurid detail the gangs, the drugs and the violence in London, she concludes that it probably is the last place Her parents will look for her. Edinburgh, maybe, or Glasgow, but not London. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride, buys her lunch, arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month, two months, a year. The man with the big car, she calls him boss, teaches her a few things. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. Occasionally she thinks about the folks back home, but their lives now seem so boring and provincial that she can hardly believe she grew up there. She has a brief scare when she sees her picture printed on a missing persons poster with the headline, Have you seen this child? But by now she has blonde hair. And with all the makeup and body-piercing jewellery she wears, nobody would mistake her for a child. Besides, most of her friends are runaways and nobody squeals around here. After a year, the first sallow signs of illness appear and amazes her how fast the boss turns mean. These days we can't mess around, he growls, and before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She still turns a couple of tricks a night, but they don't pay much. And all the money goes to support her habit. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside the big department stores. Sleeping is the wrong word. 
A teenage girl at night in London can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her cough worsens. One night, as she lies awake listening for footsteps, all of a sudden, everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl, lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty and she's hungry. She needs a fix, too. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and shivers under the newspaper she's piled on top. Something jolts a synapse of memory and a single image fills her mind of summer on the farm, enjoying the mild weather, the wind blowing over the fields and playing with her siblings in the barn as the school summer holidays slowly pass by. Why did I leave, she says to herself, and pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do. She's sobbing. And she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she wants to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times. But the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way and I'll get into St Andrew's bus station in Edinburgh about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well... I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it throws me off near Inverness. It takes several hours for the bus to make all the stops between London and Edinburgh. And during that time, she realises the flaws in her plans. What if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could talk to them? And even if they are home, they probably wrote her off as dead a long time ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech she is preparing for her father. Dad, I'm I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. The bus has been driving with lights on since Newcastle. Tiny snowflakes hit the road, rubbed warm by thousands of tires. She's forgotten how dark it gets at night out here. Every so often, a signpost with mileage to Edinburgh appears. Oh no. When the bus finally rolls into the station, its brakes hissing in protest, the driver announces in a crackly voice over the microphone, 15 minutes, folks, that's all we have here. 15 minutes to decide her life. She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair and licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks, in the tobacco st- she looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice, if they're even here. She walks into the terminal, not knowing what to expect. But not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepares her for what she sees. There, in the concrete walls and plastic chairs of St Andrew's bus station, Stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and great-grandmother to boot. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing party horns and taped across the entire wall of the station is a banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares out through the tears quivering in her eyes like hot mercury and begins the memorized speech, Dad, I'm sorry, I know. He interrupts her. Hush, child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. 
a banquet's waiting for you at home. Her father waited. Her father waited with patience beyond our comprehension, probably with great agony, and he did so because he loved her so very much. Friends, Jesus told this parable, and Yancey retold the parable in today's language so that we could appreciate afresh the prodigal love and patience of God. Not a fictional character, but you and me. We each are the younger sons and daughters. We each have told God to drop dead that we want His stuff life, pleasure, the wonders of this creation, satisfaction and work, the enjoyment of life, good things actually, but we'd rather not have God. He can stay in His box. In fact, God is as good as dead to us. Now, you know how much agony it feels when we are rejected, and you can imagine some of the agony of the parents in the story, but imagine with me the agony God must feel when we reject Him. Imagine loving, as I said to the children, with a perfect love, the best love. Not the measure of love you and I have for our children, or the measure of love of these parents, but rather a perfect, pure love, a love that is so holy, so other, that it defines love. What degree of agony does someone face when they love that strongly and they are rejected? Friends, God loves you that much, that perfectly, and His heart breaks for you to return to Him and live in relationship with Him as His child. In His very great patience, fueled by prodigal love, God waits, God suffers for you, for you to come home to Him. So let me ask, have you returned home to God? There's a number of ways you might figure that out. Maybe might begin with, would you call yourself a Christian? But to be a Christian is to be more than coming to church. It is more than giving our offering. It is more than trying to be loving and patient. As we thought about some months ago, to be a Christian is to have God as the center of your life. It is to come home to God. That God is the one you build your life upon. That He shapes your choices, your values, your priorities. That's when you know you live for God. That's when you know you've come home to God. That's true repentance. Friends, can I ask, have you come home to God? Have you? I don't know your stories enough yet. I don't. But God knows. And between you and God, you can figure that out. Have you come home to Him yet? He's waiting for you to come home. But God is lovingly waiting for all of us, and especially maybe for those of us who have grown cold towards Him, that despite being a Christian and despite at one time being excited and passionate for God, the love has grown cold. And He calls you home as well. In His patience, He calls you home to 
rest in his love and to know his embrace. And even for you, God patiently waits because he patiently waits for all of us to respond today and every day to his love. I pray that we may all come home to God. Let us pray. So what has God been saying to you by His Spirit today? Where do you need to respond to Him? That quiet voice has been whispering. He's promised to do so. Where do you need to respond? Do you need to grow in patience? Do you need to apologize to God and to another for your lack of patience? Do you need to cry out to God to help you reflect His patience in your life? Do you need to come home to God? Is God yet the center of your life? Do you need to come home again to God? and allow Him to break the coldness of your heart with the warmth of His love. Take a moment to speak to God about what you need and how you need to respond today. Father, thank you for your love, your prodigal seeking love, and that in your great love you patiently wait for us, you patiently look out for us, you patiently call us home. Help us respond to you this day, Father, to come home if that's what we need to do, to allow our hearts to be molded and shaped in your image and fueled with your love that we might burn brightly for you in this place, that we might walk and step with you and be living signposts of your love. Father, if we need your forgiveness for lack of patience, may we receive that as we bring our confession. And may we have the grace to ask for forgiveness from others And may we have your grace and empowerment to grow in your likeness. For we ask all this, Father, in your name and for your glory. Amen. We close our service as we sing together our final hymn, I Want to Walk with Jesus Christ. If if you have responded to God maybe for the first time and come home to Him, if you have come home to Him afresh because your heart is not as it once was in your relationship with God, please do speak to someone or speak to myself about that. Share that with them, that we might encourage and support you on the journey with your Heavenly Father. We close our services. We sing together. Mission Praise 302.